Welcome back to the Spock the Week archives. I'm your host, John, aka the Alba Android. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and if you are joining us again, thank you for coming back. Each week we are bringing you our archived YouTube videos in podcast form, so that you can listen to it on the go, wherever you like, however you like. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome, guys, to a very special edition of Spock the Week, where we are joined by my fellow co-host, Gregor Cameron. Evening, JJ. And we have some members of the USS Albert crew with us this evening. We have John Hardy, who's over to my other side. There you go. I'll get this right one of these days. Uh, We have Lynn Cohen, and we have Robert Richards. So, uh, welcome, guys. Thank you very much for joining us on our third episode. Is this thing on? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to edit that bit out. So, guys, I'm going to hand you over to my co-host, uh, Gregor Cameron, who is going to kick us off with our discussion this evening. Gregor, the floor is yours, please. Oh, thank you very much, JJ. Um, so, welcome, first of all, to John, Richard and Lynch, your first time on Spock the Week. Hope you enjoy it as much as we've enjoyed the first couple of episodes. And, you know, tonight we're doing a little bit of a departure from our normal structure and spot of the week, um, based on the big and some would consider very exciting news um, coming out of the Star Trek camp in the last couple of weeks, and that's obviously the announcement of the new Captain Pike orientated series called Strange New Worlds. So, yeah, I think we'll just have a, a some general chat around what people are looking forward to, what they're not looking forward to, maybe what their concerns are, and where they hope the show is going to go. Myself, if you've seen the first couple of episodes, you'll know I'm not a fan of Discovery. Found Picard to be quite underwhelming, um, so I've got concerns. That being said, my main concern is that it's yet another prequel. That does concern me because since Nemesis, we've had three prequel films. One, two. And this will be the third prequel series as well. Um, the only thing that's moved the timeline on is Picard, which, as I said, was underwhelming. So I'm a bit concerned with that. I'm less concerned with the, the episodic aspect of the show, um, doing it more like the traditional TNG and original series. I don't much have a problem with Discovery actually being a story arc or Picard being a story arc like some of the other podcasters do. I think there's... There's either good writing or there isn't. And it doesn't really matter if it's a story arc or if it's episodic. The fact that they're going to make it um, a bit more optimistic. Again, I wasn't too concerned. My criticisms of Picard and Discovery was, you know, I I didn't mind the fact that it was dark. There was other things that I felt were wrong with those two shows. But it's quite a departure from what the the tactic has been, or what they've done with Star Trek so far, and the seasons, well, you know, the two seasons we've had so far of Discovery and the season of Picard making it darker, making it episodic, um, and to look, you know, very much a different federation, a different Starfleet. So it looks like it's going to be a much more traditional type Star Trek storytelling that we're going to get. Um, what we're looking forward to, definitely seeing Anson Wright as Pike. He was by some distance, um, Pike was by some distance the best character in the season, second season of Discovery. Anson Mount was by some distance the best performance in season two of Discovery. Um, and I think quite rightly they've latched onto that. And for once, I think they're maybe responding to some of the, the criticism that we've had from an element of the fan base. 
in the last two years. Um, so that I'm looking forward to. The other stuff I'm looking forward to is some of the things that I do like from Picard and Discovery, and that's the way the show looks. I love the love the aesthetics. I don't have a problem with the, the technology being more advanced than the original series and stuff like that, because the original series was a product of its time, and the way that the shows these days are a product of their time. Um, I actually like the bridge on the Enterprise in the season two of Discovery. I thought it looked great. I thought it was a great hop. Combined a homage to the bridge, by, but making it look more modern. I think the special effects are great. As someone who likes photography, I love the lighting in the show. Um, the shows do look like movies. They have the production values of movies. So if they can improve the writing a bit from what we've had recently, keep the aesthetics of the show up. Um, overall, I'm reasonably optimistic, but cautious for the reasons that I said. I don't know if anyone else wants to throw that. What's to go first, Lynn, Richard, John? Well, thank you for that, Gregor. That concludes this episode of Spot of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> I would make a comment. I, um, I do feel quite positive about it. I understand what you're saying about prequels, um, although I'm interested to see how Discovery is now moving into the future, so that seems to me to be a, a step in the right direction. However, I really thought that the dynamic between um, the three characters, uh, between Alison Mount, Rebecca Romain and um, Ethan Peck, was really good. And I thought they were great as a team, and that was part of what made it so strong for me. So I'm really looking forward. I've always really liked the number one character, so I was really pleased to see her being um, you know, recreated in this. So I'm actually really looking forward to it. But I like the idea it's episodic, and they've got this um, aim for doing a, a, maybe a slightly more um, brighter a set of, um, of storylines. So, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it. Richard, what's your thoughts? Yeah, no, good to be here. Um, right. <laughs> good evening from sunny, no, it's a sunny Edinburgh. And what I, would, what I would say about the character of Pike, first of all, is um, I really like, from the, the original series, obviously, the, the cage and the, <laughs> all of the feats of the cage, which, of course, we're getting the, the menagerie. Uh, parts one and two. So, you know, that's that's of course all we got of Pike um, at that stage. I agree with you that he became, he was the best, the best actor to me as well and developed the best character in Discovery in the second season. So, um, like I'm saying, I, I feel positive about a spin-off with the character. I do have reservations slightly as well as I would also agree about another um, having had, obviously, Enterprise and Discovery already as well. So it'll, it'll also be interesting to see what, what the plan is as far as how many seasons they're, they're aiming to do um, of Pike. And is it is it going to be two? What sort of length will it be? Obviously, how many episodes? Um, but I'm, I'm encouraged by the character, as I say. Um, I quite like the, the bridge curve of the Enterprise, the way they were shown in... Discovery as well, which we didn't get to see a lot of them, of course, but but towards the end of Discovery, um, they started to come into the room. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I, the, the point you made there about seeing a bit more of the bridge crew was relevant because I actually thought we seen got to know more of the, the bridge crew of the Enterprise in Discovery than we did the bridge crew of Discovery. <laughs> Discovery. Yeah. Because uh, I still struggle with a few of their names um, in Discovery. John, you looking forward to it? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you're going to be um, Boyce. 
advice. There was who was linked with that? I seen someone. Uh, well, somebody said Jeffrey Coombs. Oh right, yes, it was Jeffrey Binding. Coombs. Yeah. And somebody yeah. said um, uh, Steve Gutenberg. Ooh. Oh. Interesting. Okay. I think about the same age, you know. So, yeah. well, I'll tell you, the, uh, that would definitely get my partner in, uh, interested in that TV series if uh, Steve Guttenberg was uh, involved in it. Um, I mean, she is a uh, huge Academy fan, so uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she would uh, she would watch it just to see him in it, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, um, anything else uh, you would like to say, John? No, no. I'm All right, happy Yes, my turn. Woohoo! Uh, what have I got to say? Um, well, I genuinely am looking forward to this. Um, my favourite part of Discovery um, so far, because we are waiting on a third season, so I'm leaving that book well and truly open, but the best part so far was Anson Mount's portrayal of Captain Pike. Mm. Um I just think it was it was almost as if a role was made for him or he was made for that role. It just fits in so well. The humour, the southern wit, everything that throws into that character. And I am just so chuffed that we are going to see more of Pike in this capacity and more of the crew of the Enterprise. Um, as for it being a prequel, I'm leaving that one, in my opinion, open as well. Because... If they do this right, if they do this as what it sounds like it's going to be, a series centred on Pike or the years that Pike was uh, in command of the Enterprise, if they do it right, then they can basically almost put it into a bubble. Now, we all know what happens. We all know he was, you know, the captain of the Enterprise, you know, stuff happened, blah, blah, blah. That would play exploded. So I just uh, um, had a little technical difficulty there. Um, but yeah, if they do it right and do it like um, I've been hearing they are going to do episodic Alien of the Week, you know, very uh, sort of individual stories, um, then then I think it's going to be brilliant. I think as long as they obviously don't run roughshod over canon, um, if that's your sort of thing, if you want it to be perfect, then like I say, hopefully it is. But uh, like I say... Um, there is a little bit of uh, sort of fancy-free canon writing with Discovery uh, and a little bit with Picard, but then again, Picard is breaking new ground. Um, but you know, like I say, we—it's mere speculation at this point uh, as to what exactly is going to happen. But when it comes from Anson's mouth that it's going to be a return to classic Star Trek, then one can only assume that uh, that means episodic you know, original series style episodes. So I'm really looking forward to it in that respect. So yeah, um, more Anson Mount. Maybe we'll get a bit more of the backstory as well, I hope, you know, because again, like I say, um, we've seen it in the pilot episodes and Menagerie and stuff like that. And I think, you know, that that gap, that's what's missing from Star Trek. The prequels, the only one that came close to doing, filling the gaps, filling in the blanks uh, was Enterprise because that's basically told us how they got into, you know, exploring the deep space, how Starfleet basically, you know, a little bit sort of rough around the edges, but that's basically what it did. And then we had, like I say, we have Discovery, which is just somebody decided to plonk it somewhere between Enterprise and, you know, uh, between Pike and Kirk. So is this going to be the same thing? Is it just going to be something that's going to be plonked in, or are they actually going to really think about it? That's that's the anticipation. That's what yeah. I think. 
Well, Robert made a good point in terms of how many seasons are we going to get, because I think, and it ties in with your point about Canon as well, JJ, uh, because it, it must have a shelf life, a predetermined shelf life already, because we know what happens to Perry. They've already heavily played that card, as it were, in Discovery Season 2. Mm-hmm. by showing him his future. Um, so I think there's a... I know they said it's going to be episodic, but I think there's an opportunity to have that in the background in every episode. And how is that going to affect his decisions in every episode going forward? Um, I think it's going to put a different kind of pressure on the writers making it episodic. I think at times, recently, the writing has been lazy. I'm not going to get away with that now, changing the story every week. You know, I, I, you know in season two, bringing Spock back... While it, it kind of worked, it, it was also lazy. It was, you know, clearly a trick to to get the fan base engaged, bringing Pike back, bringing the Enterprise back, um, and Picard. There was things that went on that I thought were, was lazy, bordering on mm, you're not, you know, that's a that's a little bit of a cheap trick. You're not going to get away with that in an episodic series. So I think they were going to put the writers under a different type of pressure in this this time. Will there be a mirror universe? And the, the peak season as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a ooh, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 hope, I hope so, and I hope they get it right when they do it. Yeah. The, the, the problem, I think, coming up with uh, the mirror, uh, bringing the mirror universe into uh, the Pike series, um, it would be good because it's something that has been the only ep- the only one I haven't seen a mirror that hasn't has a mirror episode in it is Voyager. I'm led to believe. I've never TNG. seen one in. Did t- TNG not have one? No. All right. No. There's a TNG. There's a TNG comic. That's probably where I'm picking that up from. So you've got TNG, you've got um, you've got. So it's not a necessity. The risk, I believe, with a mirror universe episode or bringing a mirror universe arc into um, Strange New Worlds is a. They've already done it very, very recently in Discovery. So if they did it in Strange New Worlds, it to me would be a cheap shot. You know, uh, it's they've already done it. Let's you know we're trying to get away from that a little bit. So let's not. The other one is it, they could quite easily again. You're saying about lazy writers there, Gregor. Um, a mirror universe is probably an an easy way to get more series out of the character and out of the ship and and whatnot. Because, like you say, we already have a predetermined lifespan for um, for Pike, so we already know it's only going to last a certain amount of time. So doing a mirror universe runs the risk of them going, oh, we're in a mirror universe. What if you get stranded there? Boom, there you go. You know, you've got a whole new linear line of, you know, it's a bit like what they did with the J.J. Abrams movie. You know, oh, well, all of a sudden we've gone through a wormhole, changed time. Yes, we can do what we want. Yeah. And then they go and do a rehash of, you know, but anyway, that's a different. That, that one. <laughs> <laughs> um but that's that. that it just emphasises the point that um, that's something I don't want to see them do. That I want it to be as bittersweet as it may be. I want it to be that predetermined length, that predetermined time. Now, how you split that time up, that's how you will get your your number of series. Because um, let's be honest, if you base it on a five year mission, there's 365 days in a year. There's you know there's you know 52 weeks. So if you do an epi- you know a week episode based on a timeline of a week in the ship's time you've got 52 episodes there so you can spread that over you know and then you spread that over five times there is the potential for it to have numerous seasons possibly up to five six seven seasons 
but it's again it's if they're going to do that how they keep the momentum going it's you know uh, that's going to be the challenge i think for for the writers and for you know the showrunners yeah. of of the pike series yeah i mean i'm not i'm not a strict canonista i think there is scope to make adjustments <laughs> to the canon when it's when it's done well um i think you know a bad example of that is the end of discovery season two a great example of that is when the enterprise did the three-part episode affliction explaining how the klingons lost their ridges <laughs> you know so when it's done well and it, I think it's the same as the mirror episodes, JJ, because I understand your reticence to say because they've done them in Discovery. I actually think in season one Discovery, they were some of the best mirror episodes. Oh, yeah, I agree, yeah. Um, of any series, I actually thought that worked, and I thought an, an interesting thing to have done with season two of Discovery rather than the direction they went would, would be what happened if they got Walker back, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you. There's plenty of scope for them, given the time scales. It's what are they going to do with the story opportunities that they've now been presented to a fan base that's really hungry now for that type of storytelling. I mean, is there anything that you particularly want to see from it? Oh, my prodding. On, I, don't, you're try, I, don't, I think you're trying to prod Lynn on my screen, but I, she doesn't look happy about it. <laughs> I'm beside Gregor on the top, so all your things are going the wrong way, I think. I think we're going to have a little bit of a dance going more, on here. <laughs> things are going the wrong way in more way than one. <laughs> oh, this is uh, this is this is brilliant. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, seeing as I was trying to point at Lynn, uh, put it, I'll put you on the spot here a little bit, just give you a bit of a, a bit of a nudge because you're right well, there. Well, actually, um, I am. Um, I like to see the progression of science works worked work out well in the stories. So I did like seeing Enterprise how. They were looking at the early space and they were doing new things there. And then you have the Enterprise in the original series doing their five-year mission. So I do like to sort of try to see things developing and to show how the how one thing led to the other in a way. So I would be really interested to see that done well. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's one of the things that Discovery and Picard failed on was the science aspect. There was a lot of fiction, but not much science. I don't know, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that, Robert? Yeah, I think um, coming back to the bridge crew again, as I said, we, we fell quite positively, but then towards the end of Discovery, so fleshing out these characters a bit more in the Pipe series, it gives us space to develop them, to get to know them, hopefully. Um, I agree about the scientific element as well. I think that would, it has a potential um, in this type of season to to go to pick that up and run with it a bit more or a lot more than as you said it's um we've seen in discovery and and mm. guard yeah. recently so yeah what about you john if there's a young yeoman rand on the enterprise <laughs> i don't think it would be there with number one and seven with pike and young spock who, who would you like to play the young yeoman rand if they uh, i don't think i remember that time with more um young smith if you say young Jonas Rand, I'm trying to think, is it could have? Um, I don't know, he's hard by the day. But what I love to see, what I love to see is bringing, I know he's coming back in, you know, bit on, bit on in, in the series, Kirk, mm. bring Kirk into it somewhere along the line. You know, different, when they transfer commando to Kirk, and he gets to promote the fleet, uh, fleet admiral, fleet captain. Mm. That would be good, but it's yeah. the, the hard thing with that is finding the right mm. person to do it. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I know Gregor doesn't like me talking about JJ Trek or Jar Jar Trek or, you know, as he likes to call it. <laughs> um, but the good thing about that was they got the right actors to play the parts. Uh, I mean, mm. Chris Pine as Kirk, I mean, he, he plays it brilliantly. And Carl Urban. And Carl Urban and what? Zachary Quinto yeah. and everything, the whole lot of them, every single cast mm. in that those films was spot mm. on. The problem is, is that he would be an ideal candidate to play the part. The only problem is, is that you have two different you well, know, studios, you know, two different studios, and it's highly unlikely that, you know, one will let the other, you know, uh, go. So that's who I would like to see play that part, but I know it's unlikely to happen. I mean, I, I, think, I think the difficulty with bringing Kirk into the new series is, it is meant to be Pike's Enterprise. Yes, that's true. That's true. You know, and I think introducing Kirk will be a young Kirk, a first officer Kirk or whatever. Yeah. Not too bad it's, either, kind, it's, it's treading on mm. the series' toes. You know, Kirk's had his series, mm. but he's had six films. Does he need yeah. to be in this one? Yeah, I'm too bad at the end of the series, when he finishes. Yeah. So when he finishes, transfers over command to Kirk, and that'd be that. There will have to be a, a transition, because you know it's going yeah. to end at some point, so there has to be. And if it's done well... He doesn't actually mm. physically have to appear. No. If, it's, if it's done well, then it can be done purely through writing CGI and and all yeah. that. It can be done that way. But yeah, it, it's sort of like you say, John. It's something that will have to happen at the end of whichever series they decide to yeah. end it on. One of it would be after Discovery or be before Discovery. You know, before we went to Talisport or after Talisport. Well, we touched on Talos 4 in Discovery Season 2, didn't we? Yeah, so I wonder if he'd be after Talos 4. Or if... uh, yeah. well, he's, been, he's, he's already been to Talos 4. Yeah, I know. So, I know, so but the cage has happened in Discovery. Yeah. So... I wonder if they do a new series of starts from the beginning of his tenure. Ah, I see where you're uh, going with this, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, don't, I don't think so, because yeah. Ethan Peck has lost the boy band haircut and the beard. Yeah. That he had for spots, <laughs> making him look like uh, original series spot now. So I think it's going yeah. to be, I think it's going to be from where Discovery left off. That, yeah. That's would seem to be the logical place mm-hmm. to continue. You think there's a danger of oversaturation for the the general public with Discovery season three, always looking around at the same time, and mm-hmm. also the Lord decks. I know that's yeah. obviously an animation, but is it is it all is it a bit too much in a short space of time? Yeah, I, there, there is an element of they have the intellectual property to this franchise it has been seen as a bit of a cash cow, maybe not quite the commercial success that they thought Discovery and Picard was going to be. And there is an element of are they just throwing mud at a wall, hoping that some sticks, rather than concentrating on quality rather than quantity uh, at this stage. I mean. I, it's in, what I found interesting was that ever since Discovery Season 1, at every single press conference opportunity I had, Kurtzman was talking about Section 31. We're doing Section 31. We're doing Section 31. Look at sleep. We're doing Section 31. We're still waiting on Section 31. And then he never once mentioned a Pike series. And then he comes out with a Pike series. There may be political moving shenanigans going on in the background where they're thinking, he didn't want to do Pike, and he's been told, look, you're doing Pike. Because he seemed to be determined to get Section 31, but he's got much more intellectual property wrapped up in a Section 31 series 
than he has in a Pike series because presumably the Roddenberry estate will have much more intellectual property on the character names Pike, Spock and number one. Because um, I do know the, um, there is actually a copyright on Seti Alpha 5 on the uh, on, on that. I've, I've read that somewhere. So uh, an intellectual copyright, I, I believe. Yeah, it's... Section 31, that's another one I think a few people, I don't know, me personally, I would love to see Michelle Yeoh, uh, because I mean she was brilliant and she did mention somewhere on the internet, uh, she has been quoted that she was approached uh, about a Section 31 show and that she would she would like to do it but nothing ever, like you say Greg, nothing ever came, came of it. I think as regards to saturation there is there is the risk of that however it's if if it's done right they've you've got discovery you've got you've got you're going to have strange new worlds you've got picard and they're all in different time time lengths and stuff like that if it is done correctly then they can link in i'd say again this goes back to canon but they can link into certain events certain points in time that link each one of these in so in if they're if that's done right, then you can throw TV shows out left, right and centre, films out left, right and centre. As long as everything ties in and works, the problem is, is when you have so many different shows all coming out within television terms a very short period of time, and they don't mix in, they don't, they, you know, they're all over the place, that's when it becomes dangerous, that's when it can destroy a franchise, that can ruin. I mean, you'll always have your diehard fans... I mean, look at DC Comics, for example. I mean, if you've seen their, their films, they're all over the place. They tried to do what Marvel did, and it, it didn't work. You know, they were well behind the cosh on that one. But as far as Star Trek is concerned, they are the original universe-style TV slash film because all the TV shows were linked into each other. Maybe not directly, but they all either guested or transitioned or cameoed on each other's uh, TV shows, uh, Picard in DS9, Voyager in DS9, uh, TNG in DS9. There's so many, it's, you know, you can... But that's what... They, they have that. So if they can do that with modern CGI, modern technology, video filming, mm. all the stuff that they have at their disposal now that they didn't have in the 70s, and the 80s, 90s, uh, 60s, uh, 80s and 90s, whatever, they have the opportunity to make something really, really good cinematic television uh, I heard somebody say it record and that is something that we as fans should be looking forward to but as Gregor as you if you if you watch uh, previous episodes and future episodes of spot of the week you will find that Gregor likes to talk about the writing and he's right because it's you could have all the fancy technology in the show but if the writing's poor if the development is poor that's you know that's what can ruin. So I don't think it's the number of shows that's the problem. It's how good the qu- the quality of the shows. Lynn? Yeah, I, um, just going back to what you were saying about, so Section 31, for example, I never really felt that there was the same fan response to that as to the response to Pike at the end of Discovery. Mm-hmm. There was a massive response by the fan base. And in actual fact, I felt that Michelle Yeoh's character as Philippa Giorgio in the Terran universe was a much stronger character. If they were going to develop her in anything, I would rather have seen her bring something back in the Terran Empire. I had no interest whatsoever in Section 31. I, I didn't like that side of it at all. It didn't have the ethos of Star Trek behind it, but I've enjoyed the, the positivity. So that's how I felt was that um, there's not been this um, positive reaction to, I think Michelle Yeoh is fantastic. 
which I liked her over the Materan Empire. I mean, I think the problem with Section 31 uh, and Kurtzman's Star Trek is that it's been, they have been like the KGB. You know, they're, they're up front, you know, if you look at season two, you had Shahzad Latif, a member of Section 31, observing everything that happened on the Discovery Bridge. A bit like you had the KGB officer in the hunt for Red October on the submarine. That was never the way Section 31 worked before. You know, Section 31 was Agent Sloan turning up secretively in Bashir's bedroom. They worked in the shadows. No one knew who they were. No one didn't even, you know, people didn't even, admirals didn't even know they existed. It was just a rumoured organisation and an enterprise with uh, Malcolm Reed being a member and then being a sleeper agent and having his commission reactivated. You know, that was the way Section 31 worked. In Discovery, you get the impression that Section 31 controls Starfleet, and that couldn't be any further from Roddenberry's vision, or indeed any image that we as fans ourselves have of what Starfleet and Star Trek is. But it seems to be something that Kurtzman and JJ latched onto, uh, particularly JJ in Into Darkness, with the Dreadnought, and Kurtzman's picked up that baton and, and ran with it. And I'm not sure that like you, like, I'm, I'm just not sure there's a, a hunger to see that version of Section 31 in a Star Trek series. Has it has it become almost a bit more militaristic then when it when it's going down that route? I mean, it's obviously a secret intelligence agency, but yeah. we've had the Makos and Enterprise, uh, which obviously some people liked, some people didn't. Yeah. Outside of it, with the the US Marine theme, and there was something very. As you say, secret police, KGB, militaristic style, the uniforms of, of Section 31, the whole ethos. And it, it is a departure, clearly, from traditional Star Trek mm. um, to have that. So did it did it start an enterprise and has it, has it rolled from there? I think, I don't think it's, I mean, obviously Section 31 featured an enterprise, but very much in the Deep Space Nine way of working in the shadows. You know, no one, no one knowing who they were. But that's not the way it's worked under Kurtzman. You know, they walk in with their Section 31 badges and their Section 31 uniforms, and we're just here to observe. Um, it could be, could be a bigger departure if you tried um, from from what Section 31 was. Because you know, Cisco didn't even Cisco thought it was just a joke. You know, but oh, there's no Section 31. What are you talking about? Um, you know, so it's like, I mean. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I don't think there's a, a, a first to see this type of version of Section 31 in a, a TV show. I think you could do an interesting Section 31 series, just not that one. It's, um, the, with the Section 31, I mean, they, they, they missed a trick. Like you say, I mean, this was the first time we see Section 31 or the badges and stuff like that. It's so in your face, so obvious to the, to the audience that these are... There's some form of organisation within Starfleet or whatever that, for me, I would have enjoyed the Section 31 element a lot more if they'd used dramatic irony a lot more. Now, just just for anybody that doesn't know what dramatic irony is, that's where you as an audience member knows what's going off, but the characters you're seeing on screen don't. And it's so obvious to us, and it's so obvious to the other members of the crew, because when they come off the shuttlecraft, the prisoners, they bring them off, and Burnham's there, and the other guys, are, and they're mentioning the black badge. You know, they don't directly refer to it as Section 31, but they reference the black badge. Now, that, to me, kills off the dramatic irony. 
and that spoils it. That makes it too obvious. Now, if they did it in such a way that we knew that these people were something untoward, something clandestine, and they kept it that way, it would have been more interesting and like, you know, it would have fitted in better. Like you mentioned Bashir and DS9 and stuff like that. They worked in the shadows. We've obviously got to know that they are there, but it, you know, it, that's what spoiled it for me. I mean, purely my interest in the Section 31 show is Michelle Yeoh. Now they can bring her into, into something maybe in the future, but I, I do kind of agree with Lynn. But on a side note as well, I think an entire series based on them, I don't think it would really, really work. I think it was just a case of, oh, what shall we do? You know, let's, uh, this best discovery. Yeah, let's make a show out of that. Uh, and like you say, there was a bigger response to, you know, the Pikes. Everybody was calling for it. As soon as Pike came on the screen, Anson Mount, everybody was saying, we want him in a series. Give him his own series. We want to see more of Pike. And he, all, it, he did steal the show on Discovery. It really did. But yeah, uh, I, I agree with Lynn. Um, you any any thoughts on uh, Section Thirty One there, Mister Hardy? Uh, just one point though, I will say, Mister Hardy, I think you do need to get some Velcro for that couch of yours because I've seen you disappear at least twice during this conversation. <laughs> I know it's me virtual virtual background, does it? <laughs> so yeah, uh, your thoughts on Section Thirty One? Is it is it a show or is it no. just... just say no? Not for me. But how do you feel about Section 31 and Enterprise and Deep Space Nine then, John? No. No? No. It's quite emphatic. (laughs) (laughs) I think, think ironically, the best best new reference, uh, I'll use the term new reference, of Section 31 was the J.J. Abrams film, because it it wasn't necessarily in your face, but when the archives blew up, it was at that point that it was revealed, okay, that there was a section 31 but up until that point you didn't know that and then that was it it was left alone after that am i would i like to see it yes am i disappointed that it's probably not going to happen no i mean i think there's things that could i mean it's an interesting thing to take the emperor from the terran empire into the federation story yeah i think there's other i think there's interesting things they could do with that but Section 31, I'm not convinced, you know, and I, I, I think uh, Giorgio, Mirror Giorgio is a great character, they've got a great actress to play her, and w- one of the things about New Trek is the calibre of actor that they've been able to uh, attract because of the budget, you know, when TNG started they got an unknown Shakespearean British actor, you know, um, <laughs> That's not been the case for the new series. They've you know, got Jason Isaacson for Discovery. So they've been able to attract some, you know, really big names. You know, so long may that continue. I mean, I hope they've discovered new talent as well, but they're just not making the most of the opportunities that they have, I think, in the new the new series. However, I would add, I really like Star Trek when it's done in series as a TV show. I think it's really suited to that. Um, I prefer the TV series. Um, to films, I have to say. I mean, I've yeah. enjoyed the films, but I just find the series, I enjoy following it over a longer storyline, whether it's several stories in a row as episodes or if it's a longer story arc. Uh, but for me, I, I'm just very happy that they have been sticking to the, the TV show format. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a, a thirst to see any more films. I think TV's where it belongs. And certainly modern TV it's ready made for it, you know. Well, particularly absolutely. like you're saying with the higher budgets as well, you get yeah. some fantastic quality, but in the format that really suits the, the, the whole 
um, the whole story. Yeah, but you think back, I mean, because obviously you, you and I watched most of Deep Space Nine together a year or two ago, and, yeah. and, you, and you had never seen it, had you? <laughs> I haven't seen it all the way through, I'd only seen, and certainly I haven't seen the end, it was fantastic. And yeah, but you look at that storytelling, particularly from season four onwards, and then those last 10 episodes beginning with uh, Penumbra Part One. I mean, imagine doing that with the budget Discovery had. I mean, Ira Stephen Bear must be, you know, well, wow, I wish I had that budget. Imagine what I could have done with that budget, you know. But then Ira Stephen Bear was a writer and a storyteller first and foremost. And that's why Deep Space Nine worked. And that's why, ironically, Deep Space Nine is working with streaming services because people can go, you know, next, next, next. Is it an element? whereby start with, with the budget and the graphics and, and the film style um, of Discovery in particular, that Star Trek's been trying to catch up to fit in with the way that TV's made now, obviously, with with that sort of colour and... Well, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, I personally feel that are trying too hard to throw the, the, the visual effects in, right? I mean, like Gregor mentioned, they have huge budgets. It's they're now getting cinema quality viewing, as in terms of the effects and the the the, the sets, the production and stuff like that. They're getting all that because of these big budget streaming services. They're getting that, but because they are getting that, they they seem to be. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing because I thoroughly enjoy what's what we've been what we've been given, but they're relying too much on the visual effects of it, letting the story sort of tag along the back. I mean, I think, to be honest with you, I think why Deep Space Nine was such a good story arc and was a, such a good series was because they had to rely on the story and the acting and the, you know, the the performance of the actors more than the visual effects. I mean, they were good for their time, you know, Deep Space Nine, Voyager and stuff like that. They had some of the, the best, uh, you know, graphics that they could get for Star Trek at the time they were filmed. But like I say, the story was, it had that had to work, because if that didn't work, whereas with modern stuff, not just Star Trek, but any TV series, if the storyline doesn't quite work, then they can just throw in a few lens flares here or there. And, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I do think it's, it's something that they need to be careful of, you know. The aesthetic should be there to complement the yeah. character and the story. And I think a good example of that are the Marvel films, which have huge budgets, they look great, cinematography is fantastic, but they wouldn't diminish all that much if the special effects weren't that great because you learn about Tony Stark, you learn about Steve Rogers, you get to like those people. It doesn't take the audience for idiots in the dialogue. There's a lot of implied stuff in terms of where the animosity comes from between certain Avengers toward each other and, and jealousy. So, yeah, I mean, if they had less budget, they'd maybe have less special effects shots. But would that make Steve Rogers and Tony Stark any less interesting? No. Well, ex exactly. You've, you've, hit the, you've hit a good point on the head there. And I think, to be honest with you, I think, I think there's been a little bit of a sort of rush to get new stuff out. Uh, and I think now they're starting to listen. I mean, the, the, the Strange New World is an example of the fact that, I mean, I don't know if it's because of the fans they're doing this or if they had this plan from the get-go and we just happened to get it right. But if they're starting to listen to the fans, if they're starting to see and gain a reaction, um, one of the advantages they do have with the way that TV is presented these days is they have a more accurate representation of who's watching it, 
the demographic, the times, how many times it gets downloaded, how many times it gets watched, Facebook, Twitter, fan, you know, all these places, they've got all access to all this feedback, immediate feedback that they never had previously. And it seems like they are starting to, to listen and to observe this. Yeah, whether they get it right or not, we, we don't know. This, this time is still pretty young, but whether they get it right or not is... I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's creating a TV show by Demograph. You know, I think when you're trying to do anything artistically with an intention of appealing to a Demograph, Demograph particular demographic, you're getting into very dangerous territory. And I know it's worked in the past with certain TV shows that might be aimed at young people or teens and stuff like that. But if you think about the biggest TV shows over the last 10 years, who were they created for? Who the hell was Breaking Bad created for? You know, who is going to relate to a chemistry teacher that has to turn, that's got terminal lung cancer that has to turn to producing meth to, to financially support his family after his death? You know, who's going to walk in and say to the TV exec, I've got this idea and it'll appeal to this demographic? What are you talking about? What, what demographic is this going to appeal to? But it was just, our, our, um, oh God, who's the guy that created it? Again, can't remember just real quality television. Who was Mad Men created for? What demographic was Mad Men going to appeal to? God Dexter. 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 Who's that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who's that going to appeal to? And is Dexter a hero or an anti-hero? You know, yes, he kills murderers, but he's still killing people. And he gets it wrong on a couple of occasions. Is exactly. you know how 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 do you as the audience reconcile Who's meant to be your hero, or is he your hero? Do you, you know, do you want Laguardia to catch on to him? Do you want, do you want his sister to find out what, what he's up to? You know, really complex. Not taking the audience for idiots. Not saying he's a good guy, he's a bad guy. This is what happens. Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, The Umbrella Academy. The audience that is watching these shows should be the audience that's watching new Star Trek. Quick example. Um, I mean, one show that has exploded in popularity since it started and no i'm not going to talk about games of thrones so if that's what you were hoping for it's not happening the walking dead now the reason i bring this up is it's it's a very specific genre and you know it's the apocalyptic end of the world zombie book but considering that's the, the, the the idea behind it you don't see a lot of that the core element of it is the dynamic, the group dynamic, the character dynamic, uh, the relationships between the characters. And I've watched it from the start and I'm, I love every minute of it because of that that element to it. Um, and like I say, that's an example of where when you go for a certain demographic uh, it, and you do it well, you do the storyline, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, it, it can grab the audience. You do need to... with the way TV is now, you do need to have to aim it somewhere in order to get people to, at the corporate level to say, yes, we're going to do it. Because you walk into an office in Hollywood and say, I want to do this. Right, okay, where's where's your, you know, where's the money going to come from? I'm not going to file millions of pounds into this if, if I don't know if I'm going to get anything back. So that's unfortunately the, the nature of the beast. But if it's done right, you can, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a horror fan. I'm not, I don't like, I've never been into zombie films or that kind of, but I love The Walking Dead. So if these shows that we're coming into are aimed at a certain, like obviously they're aimed at 
this new one, it looks to me like it's aiming at the traditional Star Trek fan. But in order in doing that, they're getting the excitement up. They're getting the, you know, they're getting the, you know, people are talking about it. It's all over the internet. And then people are going to go, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. Oh, that looks like it might be interesting. I might, and that's how it, that's how it goes. I think they do need to sort of throw some elements in there to grab new audiences, but not at the expense of what we know and love. Let's make it good. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest with you. I mean, throughout the years of every single Star Trek series that's ever been before has had its critics, has had its naysayers. TNG, it's not Star Trek because it's not Kirk. Deep Space Nine, it's not Star Trek because it's on a star base. Enterprise, I mean, the big one with Enterprise was the theme tune. Everybody, all of you know, it happens every time. So who's to say it's not going to happen? I mean, in years to come, who's to say that these, what we're getting now becomes, you know popular uh, almost cult-like i mean like you've said in, in the past Gregor, about enterprise that didn't really start to get good until season three season three or four and then there's season three right season three from, you know what I mean? season three off it went yeah. brilliant oh, so excellent. yeah it was it was great but you know just make it the writers have been given a gift they, they have a universe that's been built for them They've got historic characters, values. The, the, the Roddenberry box, the writers used to call it. And, you know, there was room for manoeuvring the box and there was room to do stuff that was different from time to time if it respected the Roddenberry box. And that's what Rick Berman and Ira Stephen Bear and Michael Piller and Mari Koto, the, the, the really great showrunners in the previous series, that's what that's what they knew. And, and that's how it worked. But Alex Kurtzman seems to have come in and determined to, to put his own stamp on it, which is fine, but he's not produced a top quality product. And I, as, as I said on earlier podcast, GG, I in 2020, I do not subscribe to TV shows taking three seasons to get going. No. Nobody watched Stranger Things and went, this will be brilliant come season three. Nobody watched it. You've yeah. got to come out the blocks running these days, even more so than when Star Trek was out 20 years ago. Picard taken three seasons to get running. What a joke. Patrick Stewart has played Jean-Luc Picard in 179 episodes and four films. And people are saying, give it a couple of seasons. Really? Are you having a lap? The writers can't come up with really great stuff with one of the world's greatest actors and one of the world's, one of the greatest science fiction characters and one of the greatest science fiction universes ever. That's what they came up with. Not good enough. It's, what oh, saddens me, it's the mediocrity of it that saddens me. It should what, be the... what picks you up about it, though? Let's 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 flip this let's flip this around a little bit. What picks you up about it? There's got to be about, something. About, about, what, about Picard, discovery about, as well, if you will. Do you know what? The, do you know, on reflection, do you know what the best thing about Picard was? Don't say the end credits. After, <laughs> the, the end credits. <laughs> <laughs> and they dumped it after the third episode was. The relationship that was beginning to develop, and you, the viewer, were watching this relationship between the aging Picard in his vineyard, the frustrated, forced to retire Picard in his vineyard, and his two Romulan home. home yeah, I, I did. I did enjoy that. I thought that was a. I thought that was particularly. That, that's a series I want to see. I think there's a. I think there's definitely a backstory hidden in there that we hopefully are going to see. 
further down the line. Or at least I'm hoping that's what they are intending. You know, drop a little nugget at the start, let it fester, let it sit there and simmer and boil, and then bring it out later on once once people have got like, oh, come on, what's going on with this? Because that was a good bit of writing in that, I think, was that sort of, who are they? What's what's the story here? What's you know what's the you know what's the relationship? You know, I mean, obviously we know that Picard had the, you know, the the evacuation of Romulus and stuff like that. So we know that, but it's specifics, it's details. I was intrigued. I was like, are we going to see something? And it kept me coming back. Well, that's a story that was you know, we can talk about whether that's a great story about the the supernova and stuff like that and the destruction of Romulus, right? But the interesting thing was. Picard didn't hate Romulans, but he never trusted them. You know, episodes like Unification, his conflict with Sela. You know, the episode The Defector, he never disliked Romulans, but he never trusted them. And then he invites two of them into his house, and the writers don't think that's interesting enough to keep them in the series for the other seven episodes. Wow, I mean... Jean-Luc Picard living with two Romulans. Did they not see an episode of TNG? Did they not see any of the Romulan episodes of TNG? Really? You know, incredible. See, one of the one of the things uh, just it just popped into my head right, uh, when you're talking about that. One of the things uh, my partner Ruth um, mentioned because she watched it with me. She's not a Star Trek fan in any way, shape, or form, uh, but she watched uh, Picard and she enjoyed watching it. Um, but one of the things she said about the uh, the I can't remember the names um, useless were names, but the female Romulan, um, she was she was like, how did the Romulan get an Irish accent? Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> what's with the accent? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 to be fair, I was like, I, I don't know how to come back at that. You know, maybe she, maybe they've been on Earth long enough and they've picked up the accent from somewhere. I don't know. Maybe they've learnt it when they, you know, because we, we know that they were former Tal Shiar agents. Um, so maybe they learnt it through that. I don't know. But it was an interesting point to bring up. And that's from somebody that doesn't watch Star Trek. So we know that people know about Star Trek. They know roughly alien. I mean, I've worn this thing at conventions and uh, on my way to conventions. And I've had, you know, beam me up, Scotty. Go, well, well done, yeah. Wrong series, but at least you got the genre right, you know. Um, said that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was an interesting point. So even people that aren't Star Trek fans are picking up on little little things, but the fact is they're picking up on it. I, th- I think, I think to be honest with you, that's at least one person I know that's watched it. And I would probably guarantee that they will probably watch the second season when it eventually comes to air. And another thing I've seen on Twitter as well with new shows is these new shows have inspired a lot of people to watch Star Trek. I mean, I've seen a couple of posts recently where people have gone watching DS9 for the first time or watching Star Trek for the first time, you know, and stuff like that. And it's it's happening. At what scale, I don't know. But are these shows doing what doing some good for the franchise? Are they bringing new fans in? Yeah. You know. Is it happening? What do you reckon? No, I think that's a good point where it's it's all now being put onto Netflix, obviously. So, as you say, there will be people interested enough to go back and have a look through some of the shows they haven't seen before. So, from that perspective, there will be certainly new fans. Um, you will have, as you're saying, people who 
sat and watched Picard, but hadn't watched TNG or, or, or much of it. Um, and are going back picking up on some of that now as well to, to see what, how the character developed. Um, on the, the kind of upbeat though, of the, the recent two seasons, I, I mean, I, I did like Discovery season one, but I think that was because of Jason Isaacs and, and Lor- I, I really enjoyed the Lorca character. I did also like Georgie and um, as a Terran Emperor that we've discussed already. So I, th- I thought there were strengths. I thought it improved as, as time went on. Um, wasn't as keen, certainly no, in, on season two. But I, I, I thought there was, was were bits to like, certainly in season one of Discovery. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it wasn't perfect season one. Mm-hmm. And I commend the writers for trying to do something different with Discovery in season one. But um, there was room for improvement. I, I do feel season two is a backward step. See, um, one question I'd like to ask everybody uh, on the panel uh, tonight is we've seen a lot of the Trek that's coming out, the new Trek. Um, it's, it's either a prequel. Um, I mean, we have got a new ship with Discovery. Uh, I mean, we could talk about the uh, the details and whether that's a good or a bad thing till the cows come home, but that's for a different argument, a different uh, conversation. But um, do you feel that we're, if they're going to put out new stuff and they're going to roll it out like a conveyor belt, if you will, do you think that they should go to... I mean, we've got an entire universe to play with, a star <laughs> fleet, you know, uh, and we've only really seen in previous incarnations three different ships, four if you count Defiant, you know, in mainstream. I mean, they do cameo over ships, but in relative... You know, as in, like, included in the series. So, do you think that they should go and create new characters, create new um, series, as you know, in the sort of TNG era, original series era? I mean, they're doing that with Pike, but it's not really a new ship. It's not really a new character. Um, do you think they should do that? Go, you know, just branch out and be brave and start something new. Well, that was actually one of the things I thought was very strong about Voyager, mm-hmm. because they launched them so far, was it 75 million light years or something like that, it was so far away that um, they were able to bring in a whole series of new um, races, aliens, characters, and mm-hmm. really do something quite different with it, and I thought that was quite a strong thing. And one of the other things I did like about Voyager, and it's this idea of just moving with time, so, you know, Next Generation led to Deep Space Nine, they had a bit of an overlap. Then you had Voyager. So I'd like to see what would happen after Voyager. And just kind of carry on the progression from one series to the next. John, yeah. how... Oh, sorry, go on, Gregor. No, sorry, John, you... Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought an idea, where Enterprise should change the subject, Enterprise, should have done the Robin and War. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Danny Clinton, we want the Romulan War. Yeah, maybe Enterprise. We'd have done the Romulan War if it not been finished um, mm. prematurely. Do you think? Uh, it was, sorry. Do you, do you think it would be a dangerous game to go back to that? I mean, I know you're not a fan of prequels, there, Gregor, but do you think it would be sort of tempting fate to do um, either a film or a? Uh, I think it would make a good film. I think you know, um, it's definitely a subject for a film, but I don't know about a TV series, but. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not that I'm not a fan of prequels. I'm just not a fan of too many of them. Mm-hmm. And not too many of them work out well. I, I don't know anyone 
who thinks the Phantom Menace is the best Star Wars film. You know, yeah. uh, I, and the, certainly I think the, the Jar Jar Trek films are on reflection. You know, ten years after the first one, I think they're pretty poor on a second view. You know, they're all all style with no substance, um, and they don't. I mean, I can I could watch the Wrath of Khan or the Undiscovered Country tonight. I just could not stick a Jar Jar Trek film and and watch it all the way through. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd get bored. It's just not got any substance um, to it. And when prequels are done right, as in particularly three and four of Enterprise, seasons three and four, they absolutely worked. And we've, we have seen elements of discovery that worked, but unfortunately there was more, for me, there was more elements that didn't. I agree with you, Robert, season one was better than season two. Um, so, the Romulan War, I think, would have been good, and I think maybe Enterprise might have gone into that territory. Um, in seasons five, six, or seven, if they were um, given the chance, yeah, Lynn, I'd like to see what happens next. I'd like to see what happens after the the, the Romulan coup in Nemesis, after the Dominion War, when the Dominion surrendered. I'd, I'd like to see that. Should that be in a ship? Should should. You know, I, I we're going to get that with Enterprise, obviously, but as you say, JJ, it's not a new ship. But should they be restricting themselves to a ship when after nearly 100 episodes and 13 films, they have built this huge universe of potential storytelling, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't, I'm not averse to seeing another series on a ship, but I don't think they should restrict themselves to it. Look at deep. You know, you know, Deep Space Nine is my favourite. From season four on, they managed to mix the Star Trek universe, the wider Star Trek universe with the Klingons and all that, a story arc, and put in standalone episodes. You know, if only they could do that now to that standard. That's the one thing I wish they could do now. And I, one of the things I'd like to add to that. Um, I've read quite a lot of Star Trek novels and I love how much they can go into depth and one of the things that some of them do is totally concentrate on a different race. So you have books that are specifically set on Romulus and they're looking maybe at a deep cover agent who's who's living in the Romulan society or you have a book that's entirely set in a a Klingon world and I do sometimes feel it would be really nice to see a bit more about the, the other aliens not just as how they interact with Starfleet, but um, in their own worlds. And I, I've learned an awful lot more from the novels than I've ever sort of really seen going on in depth in the series. Uh, I've, not, I've got the book, but I've not read it as A Stitch in Time, the one about Garrick. I need to just sit down and read it sometime, you know. Um, but yeah, I think there's a huge, huge storytelling potential, and that's what sort of frustrates me about the missed opportunities that we're seeing. At the moment, so, so yeah, um, I have had an absolute ball with this. Um, I mean, the the brilliant, the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant comments and discussions, you know, is but unfortunately, like all good things, we do have to wrap it up at some point. Um, because we have been at this for nearly an hour, maybe even more. 
I don't know. Time has no meaning. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to personally congratulate Mr. Cameron for going a, an entire hour without mentioning Threshold. So give him a round of applause. <laughs> well That's done, Gregor. episode. <laughs> yeah. episode ever. But yes, guys, um, we, we will bring this to a close because, um, like I say, we could spend eternity talking about all elements of Trek, new and old. Um, but like I say, we do have to, you know, we do have to put this up onto YouTube so, you know, we don't want to bore everybody to death after three hours of... <laughs> so, um, <for> yourself. <laughs> so with that in mind, guys, um, to everybody watching, um, to our regular v viewer, uh, welcome back. <laughs> if you've made it, if you've made it this far, fantastic, brilliant. Um, you win a prize. You get to see the next episode when we release it. I'd like to thank Lynn, John, and Robert for joining us um, this evening. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you guys on, um, and we do hope that we can get you know you're more than welcome to come back. We will do more of these roundtables in the future. Um, even if you want to come on and join us for empathic episodes or anything else that we do on Spot of the Week, if you haven't seen any of it, go and check it out, guys. Um, if you are new to Spot of the Week and you haven't seen this at home, but guys, go back. All the episodes are on the YouTube channel, uh, USS Alba Recreation Department. You can catch it all there. Uh, so I say thank you again, guys. Thank you, Gregor, for um, not mentioning thresholds. Flashback. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, guys, uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, what's that episode where the salamanders are on the planet at the end? Oh, oh yeah, somebody... Yeah, that's, there you go. There you go. I'll let you have that one. Uh, so, any final thoughts, Robert? Yeah, you know, thank you. I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, really good discussion. Uh, it's good, as I said, it's uh, good to be here. John? Thank you, yeah. I get better watching um, Space Force. Uh, Space Force now. Oh <laughs> yes. <laughs> Steve Carell's at it again. Uh, Lynn. Yeah, just thanks very much for arranging it. It's been really good fun, good and tired. I like the format of having a a subject for Star Trek. It's followed to many more. Okay, no, guys. No, thanks for having you guys on. It's great to hear different opinions uh, about various aspects of Star Trek. Diversity is what it's all about. It is indeed. It is indeed. Uh, right, guys. So, um, myself and Gregor are, are on Twitter if you want to uh, get in touch or just have a wee chat. Um, we also have the um, Spock the Week Twitter account as well, which will also, and these will be displayed at various points uh, around us as we speak. Um, if um, if Lynn, uh, Robert, and John have any uh, Twitter handles they would like to share with us, they will also be displayed. If they are not displayed, then that's that's perfectly fine. At the end of the day, you can, you can. It's all good. So thank you for watching, guys. We're going to sign off. Uh, live long and prosper, and we'll see you again soon. You have been listening to the Spock the Week archives. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing on the platform that you are listening to. 
and you can also become a patron at Spock of the Week. For the price of a pint, you can have your name in lights in our show notes. And also, thank you for listening. Please follow us at Spock of the Week on Twitter. You can also follow myself at Alba Android and my co-host Gregor Cameron at Kravit Chitcha. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.